Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. In each episode of River Talks, we explore a new topic related to the health, enjoyment, and protection of the Cumberland River Basin's water, people, and special places. We sit down with experts, artists, researchers, professionals, and more to share their knowledge and experiences. I'm Katherine Price, your River Talks host. Be sure to subscribe to River Talks to be notified of every new episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast. Climate change is one of the most pressing problems faced by today's global community. Across the United States, we see constant reminders that climate change is here. Record heat in the Pacific Northwest. Wildfire smoke that hazes the air in Tennessee. Or 100-year flood events happening way more frequently than expected. And climate change is not just an environmental issue. It's a social, cultural, economic, and political issue. And today's climate movement is centering justice and equity in its approach to solutions. Young people did not cause this problem, but across the world, they are becoming some of the most vocal advocates for change. Youth, like Greta Thunberg, are household names and using their voices to stand up to world leaders with calls for action. And more and more young people are finding their place in the climate movement. In today's episode of River Talks, we talk with Rachel Hood, an organizer with Youth for Appalachian Climate Justice. Rachel is a master's student at West Virginia University and is one of several young people who recently started Youth for Appalachian Climate Justice to address climate change across the region. We chat about climate justice, climate change in Appalachia, and the work her group is tackling in the region. Well, Rachel, welcome to the River Talks podcast. Um, Just to get started, could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about Youth for Appalachian Climate Justice? Yes, thank you for having me. Um, So I'm Rachel. I'm currently in Morgantown, West Virginia, which is occupied Seneca and Mohawk land, among others. Um, And I'm a master's student at WVU um, in the geography department, and I'm studying the impacts of fracked gas pipelines to people who live near them. And I was also part of the Post Landfill Action Network's students taking on oil and petrochemicals cohorts, stop, if you will. Um, And so I started that in the fall and um, it was a cohort of six students from Appalachian universities. And we're all working in some way on tackling plastics and petrochemicals at our schools. Um, So for me, I've been working more on the disposal side of plastics and trying to get single-use plastics um, out of WVU. And through that cohort, um, some of us, in addition to several other students um, in the region, decided to form Youth for Appalachian Climate Justice because our cohort experience was so great to connect with other Appalachian students specifically and learn about what they were doing. Some students who are from West Virginia were saying like, you know, so many people leave Appalachia, we wanna be able to connect with other young Appalachians doing this work to like form these relationships and sort of motivate each other and build power in order to, you know, reinvigorate like passion for staying in Appalachia and wanting to see it transformed rather than people leaving. 
so that's part of why it formed. And then the other part of why it formed is because in a lot of the sort of mainstream environmental spaces, I think it's, it's difficult for young people to assert themselves and drive like the vision and the goals. It's more of just, you know, people love to see young people in the spaces, but it's, it's to carry forth like their missions. Um, and we wanted a space where we could sort of set our own agenda because we take a more like comprehensive view of what climate organizing can look like. And we wanna show that like, there are young people in Appalachia who are fighting these industries, who are fighting for, you know, a just and livable future. And that it's, you know, it's not something to be written off. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned there kind of your approach being um, a bit broader than maybe some of the traditional climate um, work. And in your name, you have that term climate justice. And so for people who might not be familiar with climate justice or have traditionally thought of climate change kind of in the ecological uh, realm, what is climate justice? Yeah, so climate justice sort of reframes the, the issue of climate change as being an ethical and a political issue rather than just environmental. And it emphasizes um, the social, economic, cultural consequences of climate change rather than you know, solely um, the scientific, the environmental, um, the data-based things, like the, I guess the hard, hard science things. Cause I mean, all of these other things are also data, but I hope it's clear what I mean. Um, and so climate justice emphasizes centering justice in whatever climate organizing is happening. So it's about, you know, really building solidarity with the communities most impacted. And, you know, it's not like a zero sum game or like the lesser of two evils logic that we take, because I think a lot of people, as an example, a lot of people see Appalachia as a sacrifice zone. Um, so it's always been um, facing extractive industries for, you know, the rest of the country, whether it was coal or timber or now natural gas. And so there's this logic of, well, if they frack here, then the rest of us can have energy, but Appalachia shouldn't be treated as a sacrifice zone. There's people who live here and deserve, you know, a healthy environment. Um, and so things like that, where it's recognizing not only that there are going to be social consequences of climate change, but also that there are social consequences in the solutions we propose. And we, sh we shouldn't be doing these false solutions that just create another system of inequity and oppression while theoretically addressing carbon. And so it's a lot more about um, community organizing, building relationships, building power, a diversity of tactics, and a fundamental recognition of like human dignity and respect and compassion and a livable future for all. Absolutely. That's really well put. And it, it has been something even over, I've definitely noticed over the past, you know, four to five years, the climate justice has really been the lens that people are talking about climate change in. And I think it is so important because it brings more, more people to the table and thinking about, well, how is climate change going to impact these other things that we we care about, whether it's education or jobs or um, you know poverty and and all of these things are can be really linked into climate change, and so I think it brings more people to the conversation as well. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned you know having this space for young Appalachians to be involved in in the climate movement. 
Why did you think it was important to have a space specifically for that group? And how has that population been sidelined in the past? And I know you mentioned a little bit this already. There's a couple of motivations. Um, so the first being sort of the mainstream environmental spaces in Appalachia, which you know are driven by these these you know bigger nonprofits with specific goals and specific obligations and things that they're constrained by. And so there's limitations on the tactics that they propose or the politics that they use. So for example, um, if you're wanting to take sort of this like neutral path, trying to do things in like the quote unquote most pragmatic way, um, I think that that often sidelines the people who are really affected by it because they're considered to be, you know, too confrontational or, you know, not doing what others perceive to be like the most logical, straightforward, simple thing. Um, and so like, you know, this past summer with the uprisings, there were a lot of organizations who, you know, were either saying, you know, racial justice isn't our priority. We, we're not gonna talk about abolishing the police or anything like that, but like looking at those things are climate policy um, because you know, the military is one of the biggest polluters in the world, the US military and things like that. And so we wanted to have the space where we could take this more radical, comprehensive approach and not be, you know, limited or told that those things aren't relevant to this cause. And I think people will talk about climate change as like this great equalizer of like, oh, we're all going to be affected. Um, you know, we all need to fix it together. But there's not, that's not recognizing the severe inequities of who's going to be affected by climate change and the fact that they should be driving the conversations and the priorities rather than being told well we can't address these other things because climate change is the most important we have to fix that and we don't have the capacity or the energy to address these other things and you can't address climate change without addressing those other things because the root causes of climate change are um, oppression and extraction and um, hierarchy and so if you're not addressing those things, you're not effectively addressing climate change. Um, and so that was one part of it is we wanted to be able to, you know, fight for climate justice in a way that's also prioritizing disability rights and housing rights and decolonization and anti-racism. And because we're not sort of operating in the same nonprofit context, you know, we're not constrained in in advocating for those. And I think the other part of it is that, um, you know, movements like Sunrise, for example, have a lot of resources for urban areas, but, you know, people in YSCJ have been told, well, you live in a rural area, so we, you know, we don't have any resources for you. We can't support a group in Appalachia or, or in rural areas generally. And so we figured, well, if, if, you know, we can't already plug into it, we'll just make it ourselves because it's really important to connect young Appalachians across the region um, in order to like build power and build a larger movement. And so I think another part of it was just recognizing that like, there's a lot of youth power in Appalachia that's not being, that's not being like coalesced and, and mobilized. And so, yeah, if someone else isn't gonna do it, we're, we'll do it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right, you know, rural America, when you look at, 
land even like how much of the U.S. land is in what we consider more rural communities even if there's not as many people there's a lot of land in that area and there are people that still matter and so I think it's really important to not forget about those rural areas and to understand you know the uniqueness of some of these rural communities and like you said having a specific space for that community is valuable as well and you know, I think when people think about the impacts of climate change in the United States, I think they think about sea level rise, forest fires in the West, um, you know, maybe extreme heat. And those are probably climate impacts that people don't associate with Appalachia. So what are some of what we're seeing now currently and future climate impacts in Appalachia and maybe both ecologically and then also socially, what are we seeing in those areas? I think one of the most important things to emphasize is that climate change is happening. Its effects are being felt now. And I think, you know, one of the best ways to illustrate that is the flooding that's been happening um, in the region. West Virginia in 2016 had a really catastrophic flood um, that killed, you know, several people, damaged a ton of homes. Um, and, you know, the road infrastructure wasn't built for people to evacuate. People didn't, um, you know, pay heed to these early warning systems because a flood like that had never had never happened in anyone's memories. I mean, there have been other floods, but this one was, you know, really big. And so I think the interesting thing about, well, actually it's not unique to Appalachia. In all places, you're gonna see more extreme weather on both sides. So not only is Appalachia being threatened by more floods, but it's also being threatened by drought. And that's because of, you know, the cyclical nature of the seasons like and in, in sometimes we're, there's going to be a lot of you know evaporation and so it's going to create really heavy storms that lead to floods and in other times um you know when the water supply is lower there's not going to be enough water and there's going to be droughts obviously rising temperatures are another issue for everyone i mean everyone is going to be affected by you know heat waves rising temperatures that they're not necessarily prepared for one of the other ones that people don't really realize is the impacts to biodiversity because Appalachia is a, is a temperate rainforest and it's the largest contiguous biodiversity hotspot in the United States. So it's really rich area um, in terms of this diversity, which obviously we need for so many reasons, including ecosystem health, medicine, food production, all of these sorts of things. Um, and so that's a big threat to Appalachia, which also sort of relies a lot on tourism with, you know, being able to visit the mountains and things like that. So not only the biodiversity threatened ecologically, but it's also having an economic impact. And then I think also another economic impact is this, just that so many um, jobs rely on extractive industry um, because again, this construction of Appalachia is a sacrifice zone and how it's been targeted. And obviously we need to move away from fossil fuels, but that also leaves people without jobs um, and it continues to leave Appalachia as a very impoverished region because the wealth leaves with the extraction. It doesn't stay. And so, you know, it's really important to not, you know, just leave these workers high and dry because, you know, Appalachia is already really struggling economically. Um, it has, you know, severe health issues because not only extraction, but because people are poor and they don't, you know, they're not able to afford good care. And so when we're thinking about climate justice, we also need to think about, you know, making sure we're not leaving people behind in this, especially people who aren't, you know, responsible for it. 
someone who's trying to put food on the table for their family isn't responsible for the massive rates of extraction and consumption. And so Appalachia economically is really threatened um, and a lot of people's livelihood is, is really at risk in comparison to just the United States as a whole. Yeah, I think that's super well put in just the ways that all of those issues intersect and how you can think about the ecologic environmental impacts and then the ways those, you know, especially in, in more rural areas in Appalachia, that those are so tied to the economics of that region, whether it's forestry or agriculture, you know, those cycles of drought and flooding or tourism, like you mentioned, those cycles have a huge impact on those regions. And, and it's not an impact that is often top of mind when we think about you know, climate change in the United States. So your coalition obviously has a lot of things that you are working on and, and pushing towards and educating people about. What are some of the current issues that you guys are tackling? I think one of the biggest targets is the proposed petrochemical build out in Appalachia. Um, for those who don't know, there's a petrochemical corridor on the Gulf Coast in um, Texas and Louisiana, and they have over 150 cracker plants, which process, um, you know, natural gas or oil to make plastics, they have refineries, um, they have all these processing facilities that are incredibly toxic and the area has been, been named Death Alley, formerly Cancer Alley, because the cancer rates are so high and, you know, you have like childhood leukemia, you have um, cardiovascular disease, all of these, you know, really tragic things affecting people there. It also happens to be a largely black and brown area. I say happens sarcastically because obviously it was, you know, targeted, you know, these industries always target poor people, always target minorities because they don't necessarily have the resources to fight it. Um, with the Dakota Access Pipeline, it was originally routed through a white neighborhood and they fought it and it got moved to the reservation. And so, that petrochemical industry is now targeting Appalachia. So, um, you know, five cracker plants, dozens of pipelines. And I think it's particularly scary in Appalachia because we have the mountains and the valleys and these, um, you know, chemicals and pollutions that are being put off by this are concentrated in the valley because of how the air sits. So it could potentially be even more deadly. And so it's really scary to think about this industry coming in, especially because we're trying so hard to get people to stay here. This industry is not for energy, you know, energy supply for households. This is for plastics production. And it's the fossil fuel industry's way to basically bail themselves out because they've overproduced gas so much that there's a huge glut. It's not viable. And they're concerned that there's going to be like an expansion of renewable energy on top of that. And so they're creating a supply without there being the demand for single use plastics. But if they create the supply, people will use it. And so just in so many ways that that build out is really scary. Um, and one of the biggest threats to, to the people of Appalachia and the Ohio River Valley specifically. So that's been a big target um, of our group trying to, you know, build community power around that and build youth organizing around that in a way that feels meaningful to young people. Not everyone is going to find meaning in meeting with their legislators or writing letters to the editor when and we're trying to bring people together to find tactics for resisting this that are really that really fulfill them and that motivate them and that you know brings beauty in the struggle so that's the yeah the biggest target 
from my perspective. And then some of the other things, um, as far as the you know internal coalition, we want to to build those relationships and to share skills and to support each other in our actions for our campaigns. Um, we want to to really center the justice part of climate work. So centering racial and environmental justice, um, focusing on decolonization in Appalachia. And of course there's people working on those things, but to have it in a, in a concentrated space where we can sort of elevate all of the youth of Appalachia working on these rather than just you know a couple of people in Morgantown or one school club. Um, so those are some of the biggest things. And we're really, wanting to build like a, a political analysis and an overarching strategy for how we're going to fight this in a way that people feel like it's meaningful and they're heard and it reflects their values. Um, so those are the biggest things. And of course, we're like a very newly formed coalition. So obviously there will be other projects, um, you know, as we, as we build these relationships and learn about, you know, new threats or new opportunities. Um, but those are, I guess, sort of the big focuses right now. Yeah, and, and I love the way you mentioned everybody having a space in the coalition to do work that connects with them. You know, like you mentioned, not everyone might feel going to their legislators is the thing that works for them and that's okay. There's a space in the climate movement for every type of action that you wanna take. And I think that that's really important for people to remember that maybe the action that they see the most on the news is not, not what fits with them, but there is a space and we need people with different interests and skills to you know, move, move in that direction. And, and so it's great that you all are kind of prioritizing that and how you're building that coalition. And so for young people who want to get involved in your work, I know Appalachia is a big area. And so you guys have many states that you're trying to coordinate. How can people get involved in the work that you're doing? Yeah, um, now's a great time to get involved because we're just starting. And so there's room for people to really, you know, be involved in the foundations of the group and of, of setting those intentions. So we're just beginning to form some affinity groups, you know, whether it's it's mutual aid or the petrochemical build out or, you know, political education for the group. Um, and so anyone can email our email address, which is youth4acj@gmail.com. The four is spelled F-O-R. And we also have like Instagram and Twitter. It's the same youth for ACJ. Yeah, and I think now, I mean, if people have ideas, now's a great time to like, you know, show up and, and, and talk. And if people don't necessarily have a specific thing, but they want to get, get involved, it's a really easy time to plug in because there's still so, so many ways in which we're crafting what this is going to look like. It's a unique opportunity to get in at the ground level for something like this and really make, make that what the coalition can be. And so for people who maybe are want to support the work that you guys are doing, but they're outside of Appalachia or they, they aren't youth and want to maintain that really youth-focused space, how can they support your work? I think like at the most basic level, just like following the social media or seeing what we're doing and elevating that to their audiences. And I think especially elevating it to people outside of Appalachia to say like, there are really awesome people here doing really important work and you shouldn't write them off just because, you know, 
67% of West Virginia voted for Trump. Like there's another group of people who didn't and who are fighting to change it. And we're fighting it because we love this place. There's so much to love about Appalachia and about people in Appalachia. And so fighting the, the tendency to write entire areas off because of who's the governor or what law they pass, like the political leaders are not the people, you know? And there's just, I think just really like emphasizing that we're trying to change the narrative here um, is so important because it, you know, allows us to build relationships with other people and get support for the work we're doing. Um, so that's one thing. And I think another thing is like, if there's an individual organization that wants to build a relationship, just, you know, reach out and see how we might find synergy in our work. And I think, you know, just because this is a space for youth and we want to keep it that way because we want to maintain our autonomy, that doesn't mean we don't want relationships with orgs and to, you know, help each other's work and to elevate, you know, each of our causes um, when we, you know, agree on like the basic, you know, fundamental things. Um, yeah, again, because we're in the developing stages, it, like we're very eager to build relationships. And so just finding ways to work together in a way that feels meaningful for everyone involved um, is, you know, very, we're very excited by those possibilities. So people should, should feel free to um, reach out and see what, what we can maybe do together. I think those are the main things right now. Um, we're working on establishing like communication structures for people who don't have social media, um, but that's in the in the developing stages still. That's great. Well, I love the ways that everybody can find a way to support the work that you're doing. And even like you mentioned, just sharing about what is happening in this region and, and to understand the people that are there and the people that are fighting and not to overlook that area. I think that is a really strong, strong message to end on here. So Rachel, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to chime in on or add anything else to the conversation? One thing I'd like to say is that, you know, Youth for ACJ is not the only organization doing awesome work in the region. There's also the STAY project, which is focused on keeping Appalachian youth in the, in the area. There's Black Young and Rising, which is a space for Black Appalachians. There's the Black and Appalachia podcast. You know, so I just invite people to like read something about Appalachia and realize that like, you know, I would love for people to support us, but I also love to see people supporting all of these other fantastic groups who are a little more established and probably have some <laughs> clearer ways to support. And I think I would also ask people to learn a little bit about the petrochemical industry and all of its, you know, threats, because obviously we need Appalachia fighting this, but we also need other people to fight with us. So there's like Concerned Ohio River Residence, which has a ton of information. There's the Ohio River Valley Institute, which does a lot of economic analyses showing that this is not some boom for, boon for Appalachia, just like every other industry has not been. And also like elevating solidarity with other fights like the Line 3 pipeline in Minnesota and, you know, building, building the solidarity across all of these fights feels really important to, to elevate at the most basic level, like we're fighting and you should, you know, fight with us um, because Appalachian organizers are really great and really powerful, but there's always strength in numbers and having people, you know, 
supporting you from outside. Well, that's great. And we will definitely make sure that those resources for that you mentioned that are yours, and then also all these other great groups in Appalachia that people can get involved and, you know, follow the organizations that really, you know, speak to them and the work that they want to, to support. And I'm excited to see what what comes over the next year as you guys work on all of these kind of ground level things and work to, you know, fight that petrochemical build out. And we're um, excited to be here and support in any way that we can. So um, thank you, Rachel, for joining the River Talks podcast today. It was really nice to chat with you and get to know more about Youth for Appalachian Climate Justice. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. If you want to learn more about Youth for Appalachian Climate Justice, follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Youth4ACJ. You can also see links and resources mentioned in this episode on our blog at cumberlandrivercompact.org blog. And if you're interested in learning more about the youth climate movement in Nashville, follow Nashville Youth Climate on Twitter and Instagram. We share opportunities to meet with other young people to learn and take action for climate change. The Nashville Youth Climate Program is a partnership between the Cumberland River Compact and the Oasis Center-led Mayor's Youth Council. We hope you enjoyed this episode of River Talks. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of every new episode.